our wonderful Father. God, we come before you this morning. I, I know that for all of us, there are things that we want to cry out to you for. Some of them are big, some of them are little. But you care about each and everything. And I'm so grateful, Father, that in your love and in your mercy, you have given us access to your throne through our Savior. You have given us a constant awareness of your presence by your Holy Spirit who dwells in us. You speak to us in so many ways. But one primary way is through your word. And I pray, Father, that you would speak today to us. While this passage, I think, takes a specific direction, what you want to say to each of us through it may be very unique. So I pray, God, you would give us ears to hear and a heart that is open to receive from you. Drop, I pray, all the hardness of the things that have happened this week and help us, Father, to draw closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23. Now, if you remember, last week, verses 18, 19, and 20, after the feeding of the 5,000, uh, we have the most important question anybody could be asked. Jesus asked his disciples, who do men or who do the crowds say that I am? And they gave some answers. And then he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. If you go back to Matthew's gospel, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and we unpacked that last week. And then he strictly, strictly warned them not to tell anyone. Then, verse 23, he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... Of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now, this is much more for next week, but a lot of people have taken verse 27 way out of context and said that because of verse 27, that Jesus returned and established his kingdom before any of the apostles died. Uh, that is not what that verse means. In context, what that verse means is Jesus is telling them that they are going to see his kingdom, and specifically to Peter, James, and John, who follow him up onto the Mount of Transfiguration about a week later when we get into verse 28. But that is not going to be next week. That will be two weeks from now, Lord willing, and the crick don't rise. So today, we're going to focus on verse 23. He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So the question I wrote to start us off, do you desire to follow Jesus. 
Now, this is what the word desire means. That one is determined, has chosen, and is intentionally doing something with love and delight. Right? We think of the word desire in a lot of different ways, right? I really want a cupcake. That's a desire. I really want my wife. That's a desire, sorry. Um, it's true. I really want uh, to play pickleball. <laughs> that is a delayed desire uh, for a few more weeks. Okay, more than a few, but still. <clears throat> but just like the word love in Greek, right, we use the word love for everything because I love my wife and I love cupcakes, and clearly that's a different kind of love. My desire for a cupcake and my desire to follow Jesus should be very different. Both are a desire. So the question becomes with that definition, are we then determined to choose every day to intentionally follow Jesus with love and delight? And that's a very important question for us. The most important question is who is he? And who is he to you? Is he your savior? Is he your king, your redeemer, your God? And once you answer yes to that, then do you really desire to follow him? In this very powerful verse, Jesus lays out the principles of discipleship for us, encapsulating the essence of denying himself, surrendering to God's will, and following him. And as we delve into this passage, we're going to explore the profound significance of these words and their relevance to your lives today. Now, if you've looked ahead on the bulletin notes at all, um, for those of you who listen to me a lot, I apologize. Um, <laughs> but today is very different. Uh, I organized today's message very differently. I'm trying something. If it doesn't work, I won't do it again. <laughs> but we'll see what happens. Just as I worked on this study this week and I was laying things out, this is just kind of the way it came together. And so I'm kind of hoping, I'm really hoping that that's what the Holy Spirit wanted. And that's why it looks a little different. But... Um, if not, then it was just me and a bad slice of pizza, and we'll do go back to normal next week. So we've talked about what the word desire means. And there's three things. If we desire to follow Jesus, if we desire to be his apprentices, to walk in the same way with him, which is what the word follow or disciple means, there are three things listed. We are to deny ourselves, we are to take up our cross daily, and then we are to follow him. Number one, to deny yourself. The call to deny oneself is a radical departure from the self-centered attitude of the world. It requires a deliberate turning away from our own selfish desires, our own selfish ambitions, and our great desire for comfort above just about everything else, and a wholehearted embrace of God's will. The act of denying oneself is not rooted in self-deprecation, and it's not rooted in self-denial for the sake of self-denial. But rather, it's a recognition of the surpassing worth of knowing and serving Christ, and how much better his will and his way is over our own. Now let me just, I'm just going to talk about that for a moment. 
there are and have been for many years in the realm of Christianity two camps that people tend to fall in. One is the camp of legalism and one is the camp of licentiousness. One is you have to keep the law if you want to be saved. And one is because you're saved, you have the license to do whatever you want. And both are wrong. You don't have to be a keeper of the law in order to be saved. We are saved by grace through faith alone by the wonderful sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit draws us. The Father gives us the faith. We believe in Jesus. We are saved. We are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, baptized into the body of Christ. And there's no amount of work you can do to earn it. But because of that, it doesn't mean that we just get to sin all we want because, well, I'm covered by the blood of Christ. Right? We land somewhere in the middle. We're not legalists. We're not trying to keep the law to be saved. But we also don't go around practicing sin so that grace may abound. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 6. Shall we sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Now here becomes the problem. The one camp says you don't have to deny yourself anything. Right? If you're on the, this is the legalism side, by the way. It's right in my mind. Um, the, or no, the licentious side. The licentious side says you can do whatever you want. You can live however you want. You can, you can, you can commit any, any, you know, acts, behaviors, because there's no such thing really as sin. You can, you can live your best life now. A couple people got it. Thank you. Right? And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it doesn't come from us living for our own selfish desires. The other side says, well, you can't have anything. You can't have fun, right? You don't dance. Sorry. <laughs> Anybody seen Footloose, right? Don't dance. You can't dance, right? If you dance, that's... So I, I know I've, I've said this before, but it, it always cracks me up whenever I think of it. Do you know why when Elvis first started out, he shook his hips but never moved his feet? Because he was Baptist. And it was only dancing if you moved your feet. Yeah. Uh-huh. Legalism at its best, right? Um, that's why he didn't move his feet at first. I'm dead serious. And so you have that other side where it's this, this self-deprecating, self, almost uh, an encouragement of self-hatred. Well, if you're really going to be a follower of Christ... You, you can't laugh. You can't tell jokes. You can't have fun. You, you, can't, you can't watch that movie. And don't get me wrong. There are definitely movies that you, as followers of Christ, we, we shouldn't be exposing ourselves to. But where does it say that in here? Jesus went to a wedding and made wine. Do you think he drank it? Uh, one of the things that I love about The Chosen, and I tell everybody, right? you've heard me say it many times, The Chosen is wonderful. Read your Bible, then watch The Chosen. Or watch The Chosen, then go back and read your Bible. And, and because they, they do take artistic license. But one of the things that they do, that I think they do really well, is they show Jesus in his humanity. Yes, they show him in his divinity and in his power and his greatness. But they show him in his humanity. And the idea that, that Jesus laughed, while it's not presented to us in the Gospels, he must have laughed. The idea that, that he got tired. He must have gotten tired. There's, well, that actually is portrayed for us in the Gospels. Uh, that, that he teased his disciples. That they had inside jokes. I'm sure it was there. That he rolled his eyes when they did something dumb. I'm sure he did. Right? I'm, I'm sure those things took place. And I appreciate that because 
It's okay. I know it's going to blow some people away. But it's okay to be a Christian and have fun. It's okay to be a Christian and enjoy your life. I'm really convinced that it's okay to be a Christian and go on a cruise to the Bahamas in a couple months. Right? And, oh, how, how dare you do that? Because I want to go to the Bahamas. <laughs> and, wow, you're not going to drink on that cruise? No. Alcohol reference? No, and I'm not going to get drunk, but I'm going to have a Bahama Mama in the Bahamas because I've never had one. Right? So forgive me. I hope I don't offend anybody because my plan is never, ever to be a drunk, but I want to know what a Bahama Mama's like. It's okay. So what does deny yourself mean? It means all my selfish desires, all the things that I want that are opposed to God, all of my selfish ambition, the things that I want that would put me at odds with God's will for my life. That's what I'm to deny. It doesn't mean you don't eat. It doesn't mean you beat yourself with a, with a board on your forehead, right? It doesn't mean anything like that. It means we surrender to his will which is what number two is. Take up your cross. Now, this is an odd statement for us because it would be like saying, take up your electric chair and follow me or take up your lethal injection and follow me because the cross was a, mean of a means of capital punishment in Rome. And to the listener, when Jesus said this, take up your cross, that would have sounded very odd to his listeners. When he prayed in the garden, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And we're going to come back to that a little later. But he is showing us what taking up one's cross really is. It is our complete surrender to God's will for us. Surrendering to God's will is intricately entwined with denying oneself. It involves yielding our plans, our fears, and our aspirations to the sovereign care of our Heavenly Father. Surrender is an act of choice to trust in God's wisdom and goodness, even when his path diverges from our own or what we think our path should be. It is an acknowledgement of his lordship over our lives and a steadfast reliance on his provision and guidance. I know that's a lot. It's a lot to think about. But we sum it up in one beautiful word, a word that we typically hate. Surrender. How many of us jump at the chance of surrendering our will to the will of someone else? Right? That's not a natural thing for us. What do we do? Naturally, we want our will. And that is ingrained in us by our sin nature. Tell a toddler they cannot have a piece of candy. Do they willingly surrender their will to yours? Yes, mother. You have to be British, right? Yes, mother. Your will be done. I don't need candy. It's bad for my teeth. I don't. He got Irish somewhere in there, um, <laughs> right? Or, or and, and that—that's just the example. Oh yeah, but we're adults and we're mature. May I say ha? May I say ha? Because God says I want you to do this. Oh, of course, Father. Do we do it? Or God places a person in front of us whom he is giving us the opportunity to serve and to love in Jesus' name, but it's going to mean sacrificing something of ourselves, maybe our time, or maybe giving up an argument 
because we don't want to ruin our witness. Yeah, try that sometime. That's real easy to do. You ever just had the Holy Spirit tell you to shut up? I've been, I've been in those conversations where this other person is doing everything. They're pushing, like they know every button to push. And they're pushing every button. And they're doing their very best to make me mad. And it's bubbling inside. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's like, stop. Well, I don't want to stop. Stop. In that moment, I have a choice. Am I going to surrender? We all do. Are we going to surrender to the will of God or not? And then think about the big things. How many of you have had your life go in the exact direction that you planned? I love that not one single hand went up. If you would have told me when I was 18, 19 years old that this is what I would be doing in my 40s, I would have laughed at you a lot. A lot. Because that wasn't me. I wasn't even saved. And so here we are. Because my life certainly did not take the path that I thought it would. And surrender, though, it's not a one-time thing. We talked about this in, uh, at our CR meeting on Tuesday. right? We surrender our lives to Christ when we get saved. That's a one-time thing. But then we have to surrender every single day. Surrendering our will to his. Trusting that his will is better than ours. And if you don't believe me, and I'm not actually encouraging anybody to do this, but if you don't believe me, try it your own way for a couple months. See what happens. You'll come back. Because it's not going to go well. Follow me. Following Jesus is the natural outgrowth of denying oneself and surrendering to God's will. It is a continuous, unwavering commitment to walk in the footsteps of our Savior, to emulate his love, compassion, and obedience. Following Jesus requires a willingness to prioritize his kingdom above all else and to live in accordance with his teachings and example. Following him is living our lives as the Holy Spirit is at work in us, changing us to be more and more like our Savior so we can live the way he did. Now, we're not going to do it as well, not even close. But look at what Jesus did. What's the primary thing he did? He loved people. And as a follower of Christ, if your faith is not moving you to become more and more loving like Christ, you're doing something wrong. Just saying it. And I'm not saying that as, as a condemnation to any of you. I have to answer that myself quite often. But that's his desire. He loved people. He was compassionate. He was merciful. When he needed to be angry, he was angry. When he needed to speak truth that was hard to hear, he spoke it. When somebody needed him, he would sacrifice himself for them. And then he proved that ultimately on the cross. That was his example for us. Nobody heard anything. 
And that's the example we're called to follow in. Thankfully, we don't do it on our own because we can't. We are filled and blessed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are given the guidance of his word, so we don't have to do it on our own. Then we are given a beautiful thing like a church family so that we can support and encourage one another. And we can support and encourage one another to do well. And when we don't do well, we're here for one another to hold us up. That's the beauty of what God has made. So that leads us then to what does this mean for you and I? So we're going to talk about a couple things involving surrender, and then we're going to talk about a couple things for denying ourselves, and there you go. So what does it mean for you and I? Surrendering to God involves a complete relinquishment, (laughs) that word is too big, uh, of our will to his, trusting in his wisdom, trusting in his sovereignty. This surrender is not a passive resignation. We don't just sit back and go, fine. Right? It's an active choice to align our hearts with God's purposes and to seek his will above our own. Romans 12, 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul exhorts us to to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. Some versions say, which is our reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. How do we renew our mind? By being in the word and in prayer. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I've always loved this verse that it says by testing, because I'm going to tell you what I want. I want to go sit before the Lord, Bible open, coffee in hand. Then I want the heavens to part for his face to come through and him to go. I want you to do this this week, this next week, that next month, that six months from now and this next year. And he doesn't do that, does he? Be nice, but that's not what he does. So instead, he tells us that we have our mind renewed, being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit and the word of God in our lives, that by testing... You may discern what is the will of God. Sometimes you have to move. You move forward. Uh, One of my favorite pastors I used to listen to a long time ago, John Corson, he used to say, you can't steer a parked car. You can turn the wheel, but you're not going anywhere. But we start to move. And if we're moving in the wrong direction, God will show us. And he'll course correct. Right? That global GPS. Recomputing. But that's what he does. Now, if we go sit somewhere and do absolutely nothing and then expect God to make everything happen for us, we're probably going to be pretty disappointed. It's why we're told that they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Because the word wait doesn't mean sit and do nothing. It's the term that we use when we talk about a waiter or a waitress. They're doing something. They're waiting upon the Lord, serving him, following him, walking in his ways, and then he directs. When we surrender to God, we acknowledge his lordship over every aspect of our lives, our thoughts, actions, relationships, and ambitions, and it requires us to release our grip on control and to trust in his faithfulness, even when circumstances are uncertain. So I have a problem with control. I want to control things. I do. 
I know it doesn't show because I'm such a mellow guy most of the time, but um, thank you for hearing the sarcasm. But I, I, I want to control things. And I am constantly reminded that I am not in control. And the things that I think I control, I don't. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. That's the part where we let go of our control. In order to surrender to him, we don't have to understand. We don't even have to know where we're going. We just have to go where he sends. And I'm not necessarily talking about hopping in your car or hopping on a plane. I'm just talking about the direction of our lives and what he's called us to. In all your ways acknowledge him, that's putting his kingdom first, and he will make straight your path. Number two, surrendering to God involves yielding our anxieties and fears to him. 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us to cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. This act of surrendering our worries and concerns demonstrates our confidence in God's love and provision for us. It's that old adage, and you guys know how much I hate cliches. I'm not a cliche person. But that old adage where God guides, God provides. And it's true. You step out in faith because he says, go left. And all of a sudden, when you go left, you're going to find out he's there and everything you need to continue going that direction is going to meet you along the way. Surrendering to God, number three, leads to a transformation of our character and a deepening of our faith as we yield to his leading. We are shaped into vessels of his grace and love. Romans 8.29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. As followers of Christ, as we follow him, we are conformed to his image. That's one of the beautiful things that surrender accomplishes. So let's talk about denying ourselves. And this is kind of where the rubber hits the road. This is our application. Denying oneself and surrendering to God's will are foundational principles that have practical implications for our lives every day. So let's explore that and we'll look at some scripture to illuminate it. Denying oneself cultivates a spirit of humility. Proverbs, or sorry, Proverbs, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Uh, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. See, it's okay to look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's not about me. It's about following God's will and serving the needs of others with a humble heart. We set aside our own agendas for the well-being of those around us. Cultivate a spirit of humility. Denying ourselves means submitting to God in prayer. Luke twenty-two forty-two. Jesus models surrendering to God's will when he prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And we can apply this by regularly seeking God's will in the spiritual disciplines, fasting, prayer, reading the word, taking times of solitude and silence, service, worship, so on and so on. And in doing that, we align our hearts with his purposes. Number three, we practice self-denial. Galatians 2.20 
emphasizes the principle of self-denial. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This involves sacrificing our comfort or convenience, our desires for the sake of fulfilling God's will and serving others. And I think this becomes an issue of identity. My identity is in Christ. And the life I live by his grace and power is to reflect that. That kind of self-denial, as I said earlier, it's not that you can't have fun or that that all you're going to eat is Brussels sprouts for the rest of your life to show how devout you are. Don't do that. Brussels sprouts, I, I honestly think, right? When humanity fell and God cursed the ground, Brussels sprouts were part of that result. There were no Brussels sprouts in the garden before sin entered the world. I can't prove it, but you can't prove me wrong. And if you've tasted a Brussels sprout, you know I'm probably right. That's not what it means. But it means my identity is in Christ and now I want to live my life by his grace and power and I want that identity to be reflected in everything I do. Number four, trust in God's sovereignty. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, knowing Right? That, that's, the quote is over. But knowing that God in Christ created everything, that he sustains everything, that he is ruling over everything, that gives us the freedom and hope to entrust our circumstances, decisions, and future to God. Acknowledging his sovereignty and seeking his guidance in all aspects of our lives. We, I think, some Christians, some overemphasize our free will. Now, we have free will, no doubt about it. We have the choice to believe in Jesus or reject him. We have the choice to obey his word or not. Unfortunately, we usually use our choices poorly. But we do have free will. And the problem with the whole argument between free will and God's sovereignty is one is always an attempt to diminish the other. Those who want to emphasize our free will diminish the sovereignty of God. And those who want to emphasize the sovereignty of God diminish our free will. But the fact is the Bible teaches both. Yes, salvation is entirely of God. We we can't get saved by anything we do. He has to do it all. And he brings us to the place of making that choice. And then he even gives us the faith to believe. It's really beautiful, but it doesn't take away our choice. He doesn't take away our choice. But because we have that choice, we tend to diminish, sometimes, not all of us, and not all the time, but his sovereignty. And we forget that God is sovereign. 
He is over everything. And when I mean over everything, I don't just mean over the big things. He is sovereign over every molecule in the universe. That's pretty incredible to think of. And when we acknowledge that, when we understand that, it's a lot easier to trust him because there's nothing that escapes his sovereignty. Now, that brings up some situations that are very hard to explain. And that's a great time to trust his sovereignty because there are things that will happen that we will not understand. There are things that we will face, situations we will go through, tragedies that will occur that we won't understand, that we'll hate, that'll be terrible. We can tell him that, and then we trust him for it. Because one day we'll see. Probably not today, but one day. Number five, denying ourselves means embracing obedience to God's word. 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. This involves aligning our lives with the teachings of Scripture, obeying God's word, and allowing it to shape our thoughts, attitudes, and actions by the power of God's Spirit. This is not obedience so we can be saved. This is obedience because we are saved. I was talking to somebody earlier this week who was uh, struggling with a very specific sin issue. And in discussing that very specific sin issue, right? No condemnation, because there, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. But it doesn't change that God wants us to live a life of holiness. Right? He has gifted us a life of holiness by his grace, but he also wants us to practically walk out a life of holiness. We don't sin that grace may abound. He doesn't want us to be enslaved to that sin. And I think a view that we often get of God when we are caught in some sort of sin is that I have to do this to make God happy, or I have to do this so he'll love me, or I have to do this so he'll accept me. You're already loved. You're already accepted in Christ. That's the beautiful thing about salvation. So then we have to ask, well, why does God really want us then to live out a life of holiness? We do want to live lives that glorify and honor him. No doubt about it. But have you ever stopped to consider for a moment that he wants you to live a life of holiness for you? I shared this with the person I was talking to, and they were like, I, I've never thought of it that way. It's the same reason we don't let our kids eat tons of candy and never brush their teeth. We want them to do those things because it's what's good for them. It's the same reason we want to see justice in the world. Not because we want to see the bad people get theirs, but because we want to see what's right take place. Because that's what would be best. God doesn't call us to a life of holiness so that we won't have fun. He calls us to a life of holiness because it's what's best for us. And when we start thinking about it that way, you know, it's kind of like eating right and exercising, not Brussels sprouts. Never Brussels sprouts. Never. They're one day they're going to find out that Brussels sprouts were the cause of all evil in the world. But you get the picture. Why don't you spend your life eating Twinkies dipped in Coca-Cola? Don't get me wrong. I love Twinkies and I love Coca-Cola. But if all you did was eat Twinkies and drink Coca-Cola, how healthy would you be? And if all you did was eat Brussels sprouts, how depressed would you be? That's why there needs to be balance. 
really hate Brussels sprouts. I don't know why it's coming up today, but man, it's coming up today. But I think you get the point. It's about what's good for us. And God wants what's good for us. And he gives us the, the power through his Holy Spirit to surrender to his will and be obedient to his word because it's what's good for us. Finally, denying ourselves means that we're going to serve others with love. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Practically, this means sacrificially serving each other, extending compassion, and demonstrating Christ-like love in our interactions and relationships. As we close... The call to take up one's cross daily is a poignant reminder of the sacrificial nature of discipleship. It encompasses a willingness to endure hardship, persecution, and self-denial for the sake of Christ. Just as Jesus bore his cross to Calvary, we are called to carry our own crosses, embracing the challenges and trials that accompany a life devoted to him. Now, I say this a lot. Don't think that the person at work you don't get along with is your cross to bear. That's not what it means. Don't think the neighbor that you have who refuses to rake their leaves or whatever it might be. Nobody's raking leaves right now. Um, That's a bad example. But refuses to shovel their snow. Don't that, oh, it's just my cross to bear. I've got to deal with this person. That's not your cross to bear. Your cross to bear is surrendering to Christ. And that's going to look different for each of us. But as we meditate on Luke 9.23, let us remember that the path of discipleship is marked by a continual denial of self, not our, our identity or our well-being, but our selfish desires. It's a steadfast surrender to God's will and a resolute commitment to follow Jesus. It's a journey characterized by selflessness, humility, and unwavering faith in the one who calls us to himself. May this passage serve as a catalyst for a renewed dedication to deny ourselves, surrender to God's will, and follow Jesus wholeheartedly through his grace and strength. May we embrace the privilege and joy of living as his disciples. And something popped into my head. It's going to take me two minutes to unpack, but I think it's really important. When we deny ourselves... I wrote this as a brief note. We do not deny our identity because God has created us as individuals. And I used to think denying myself meant that I had to deny myself my sense of humor, which I think many of you would be grateful if I did a little more often, but it's not going to happen. Or that it had to deny my personality traits. I used to think that. I used to think, well, I'm an obnoxious person and God doesn't want me to be obnoxious. And eventually, it took a long time, I embraced the fact that God created me obnoxious and now I want him to use that for his glory. Doesn't always work that way, but that's what I desire. You get my picture? God created you to be you. And he wants you to be you. And as Dr. Seuss said, there's no one that's going to be youer than you. Right? That's part of us being a unique creation in Christ. Don't think you have to look like me. And I'm not going to think that I have to look like you. We all are walking together in an attempt to be more like Christ. But he made us uniquely for a very good reason. 
So don't ever deny that. Embrace it. So my first question, it's really my only question, do you desire to follow Jesus? For the person who does not know Christ as Savior, this message may seem a little hard to swallow, but with all the difficulty we may endure as we follow Christ, there are all of his great and precious promises as well. The first is to know Jesus, to be forgiven of the sins that we have committed, and to turn away from them and to embrace the free gift of salvation and eternal life that he's given us. So if there's anybody listening, anybody here, anybody online, or anybody who listens to this recording later, leave a comment on Facebook, visit our website, newsonggunnison.net, or talk to somebody after service. Do not leave without knowing that you know that you're a follower of Christ. Because without that, there is no eternity. Well, I take that back. Without that, there's no good eternity. But for those of us who know Jesus, I come back to our definition that we talked about at the beginning. Are we determined to choose every day to intentionally follow Jesus with love and delight? As we reflect on this passage, just something to think about for the rest of the week. What are one or two areas of each of our lives where we find it most challenging to surrender to him? It's going to require you to be honest with yourself before God, and it's not going to be fun. But it's necessary. Because God wants to show us those things. Not so he can take away our fun, but because it's what's best for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the quiet of this moment, we come before you with a heart seeking your peace and guidance. Your word has told us to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. And we yearn, Lord, to fully embrace this divine directive, to surrender our will to yours and to walk in the footsteps of your beloved Son. God, we acknowledge before you the challenges of self-denial, the weight of the cross we may need to bear, and the distractions that lead us astray. Yet we trust in your infinite wisdom and grace. Help us to release our attempt to hold on to the things of this world, the desires that mislead us, and the fears that paralyze us. Teach us, God, to follow Jesus with unwavering faith, to seek his example in all things, and to serve you with a joyful and obedient heart. Grant us the courage to let go and the strength to follow, knowing that in surrendering to you we find true freedom and peace. May the love of Christ guide us, the light of his light, life illuminate our path, and the power of his resurrection empower every step we take. In the holy and matchless name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.